Today's scripture reading is found in Acts 5, 17 through 26. We will be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Joe, for reading for us. Thank you, Allison and team, for leading us in worship. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to see you here. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. For those of you that may be new to Trinity, we're just welcoming you here today. It's, it's great to see a room full of, of folks. Thanks for filling up just about every chair in the room today. It's coming out in the, in the rain and still being here for worship. Um, we're glad to be back home. We were out last weekend. Beth and I were up in Wisconsin uh, in Milwaukee visiting our son and his wife, uh, Brad and Heidi, and their two little ones. We had a great visit with them, so good to be with our family. So thanks for praying for us and so on while we were gone, and so it's, but it's good to be back with our church family. And uh, we uh, are just thankful for what God is doing here. Let me just mention a couple things. The, uh, uh, you saw, maybe you've seen on our WhatsApp, the Samaritan's Purse trip coming up the end of July. We're going to Nashville to help with some people that some people that are, whose houses were destroyed and floods there, and it's a rebuild project. We have four men and one woman already signed up on that team. We have room for one more guy, one more man on that team uh, that can be a part of that. Now, if we have more than that that want to go, we'll make room. We'll get some hotel rooms, and we'll put you up. We'll find a place for you to stay um, <clears throat> if you want to go. So don't hesitate if you're still interested, but let us know quickly because it's a month away, but we're already getting our team almost filled for that Nashville trip. So uh, follow up on and let us know about that. Um, also, coming up about a month from now as well, August 1st, uh, hopefully two weeks ago you got that church-wide email. We're going to be uh, changing, kind of updating our, our protocols here at Trinity. And so at that point on August 1st, we'll have all of our chairs back in here. We'll have both of our services, the same first and second service will both be mask optional services. So uh, praise the Lord pray, and keep praying that God keeps this uh, down and keeps us moving in the right direction so that we can take those next steps. 
steps as a church family, and uh, that will create more space, more chairs uh, for folks to gather for worship in here. So uh, we're looking forward to that. August 1st, uh, that Sunday will be our date for that. And one other thing I have to tell you about that's coming up, uh, this is looking to September. Um, we have uh, partnered with the Big Canoe Chapel and uh, worked some, done some networking through Allison, who has a relationship with Babby Mason. We're going to have Babby Mason here at the terraces for a concert Saturday night, September the 11th. So that's going to be exciting. Looking forward to that. This is a great way for us to take our worship in the name of the Lord Jesus out into our community, outside, out at the terraces, and invite this community to come and be a part of that worship night. So it's September the 11th, an easy date to remember, 9-11. So put that on your calendar Saturday night uh, at the terraces. Start inviting friends and folks to come. We want to pack out the terraces that night. And then, as a special a little extra, um, Babby's going to stick around that weekend. It's going to be a part of our worship here at Trinity for our two morning services on September the 12th. So uh, uh, it's going to be a great weekend uh, of, of worship and, and voicing our praise to God in song. So uh, with that said, let me pause for a minute. We're going to pray once more and dive into God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for each person. You, Lord, we are here because you brought us here. This is no accident. Uh, it's no mistake that anybody is here this morning. You have us here because this is where you want us right here, right now, to be in your word together. So thank you for the time that we've already had to voice our praise and song, to be reminded that you are good and gracious and with us through anything and everything that comes in our lives. And I thank you for that, that faithfulness, your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I pray that you would call us to be faithful in response in our life for you. And this morning, as these next few minutes help me, Lord, be working through my words, help me to accurately communicate what you want said this morning so that it is the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us to bring about the transformation and the change and the response that you desire from us today. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we pray this, amen. So in reading our uh, passage this morning, uh, this past week, I, I found a story, similar kind of story. So July of 2017, not too that long ago, 12 inmates escaped from the Walker County Jail in Alabama. Here, here, you see the parallels already, 12 escaping from prison. So in this case, now a county jail it's not real high security, so maybe it's not surprising. But the way they escaped is actually pretty interesting. So these inmates came up with this idea. There's a door in their jail that led to the outside, but it had a big sign on it that said, you know, this is an outside passage, probably from entrance forbidden, whatever. They took peanut butter from the cafeteria and covered up the sign in peanut butter. That's pretty creative. And then they found a relatively new, I guess, gullible guard, and they got him to open the door for them. And this guard apparently didn't know. He thought this just went to another part of this, uh, some cells or whatever, another part of the inside jail. He couldn't see the sign. Maybe he smelled the peanut butter and thought it was the cafeteria. I don't know. But he opened the door for them. These 12 went out that to led them to the outside. Once they got outside, they scaled the fence. They had brought prison blankets with them, threw them over the razor wire or, or barbed wire, whatever it was, and they got out. 12 escaped. Well, 11 of them were caught within the next 12 hours, and they were back in. The 12th one made it all the way to Florida, but then a couple days later was rearrested and brought back to the jail again. And I assume the peanut butter got cleaned off the sign at that point. Now, the 12 apostles in our story this morning 
did not need peanut butter or blankets to escape from their jail. This was a miracle. But the miracle of their escape, it actually pales in comparison to the miracle of their boldness and their excitement and their faithfulness to God in the midst of this. So, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 5. That's where we are at Acts chapter 5. So, a Bible, there's some under the seats in front of you. If you need a Bible, if you have your phone, electronic device, follow along that way. We would love for you. We emphasize that always at Trinity. We want you to be in your Bible, reading it, following along. And we're in this series all the way through the book of Acts. We're at at chapter 5 right now, but we've entitled the series To the Ends of the Earth. Because that's what Jesus says to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, this gospel that I'm giving you, is you're to be witnesses of it to the ends of the earth. But we all have already seen that the gospel didn't spread without some opposition, without some difficulty. And it was within as well as without. So last week, if you were here, heard the first part of chapter 5, Pastor Nick brought this message of the problems within the church, the opposition, the struggle, The difficulty was right in their own mix. And today we're going to see that the opposition comes and is growing outside the church as well. The religious leaders of Jerusalem were opposing what was happening in the spread of the gospel. And and as I've titled the message today, it's a line in the sand. They draw this line in the sand. They're just daring the apostles to step over that line. And we're going to see what happens in the story today when they do. They had to decide. This was a moment of crisis for the apostles. So here's here's the personalization of this this morning. If if you've ever found yourself in in a tough situation where you found it a challenge to obey God in the midst of some difficulties in your life, or if you've been in a position where sharing and proclaiming the news about Jesus met with some opposition, or you found it difficult to find joy in the midst of some suffering in your life, then this passage is for you. This passage will speak to all of that in Acts chapter 5. So we're going to see, first of all, the disciples choosing obedience in the face of difficulty. So our first point, first principle today, choosing obedience in the face of difficulty. And to understand the passage, we need a quick review of the paragraph before, verses 12 to 16. And, and in this, because in this paragraph, Luke kind of tells us what's going on in Jerusalem. So we get the context here. We see what's happening. Luke is telling us that the apostles are demonstrating the power of God through signs and wonders, specifically healing miracles that are going on in Jerusalem. And they're also meeting together, he says, in Solomon's colonnade, which was part of the temple. And so in very public ways, the believers were gathering and talking about Jesus. And the people, Luke tells us, of Jerusalem were interested, were curious, were coming, wanted to hear what was going on, their attention was stirred, but they were also a bit afraid because they knew the religious authorities were against what was going on. And yet Luke tells us that even with that, more and more people were coming to faith, and more and more people were coming from towns all around Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem itself. Now it's spreading. People are coming to Jerusalem to find out what's going on. It's this group of believers, little group, is growing and attracting attention. But that also caught the eye of the religious leaders, so especially the Sadducees. This brings us to our passage today, starting in verse 17. And they're motivated, the Sadducees, these religious leaders, are motivated not by a care for the people, wanting to serve the people of Jerusalem. They're motivated by 
by jealousy, Luke tells us. The people of Jerusalem were listening to them, going to them and hearing what they had to say rather than coming to the religious leaders. And so this jealousy is what sparks them and motivates them. And so they arrest the apostles, presumably all 12 of them. It doesn't tell us specifically, but we assume it says apostles, so probably all 12. They throw them in prison. But during the night, before they can even be brought for their trial, an angel breaks them out of jail and tells them to go back to telling people about Jesus. Now, pause for just a minute there, because if you'd been in their shoes, what would you have been thinking? Because you've been arrested, and an angel comes and gets you out of jail. It's like The tendency would be, well, you know, we better kind of lay low a little bit now. We better keep to ourselves, be quiet about this. But the angel says go back and teach again. In other words, do the same thing that got you arrested the first time. So the disciples, the apostles certainly knew that if they obeyed what the angel told them, it would certainly bring even more trouble, more difficulty. And sometimes that's true in our lives too, right? Sometimes we know if we do what God tells us to do, it's probably going to bring some difficulty, some struggle that obedience is going to lead to problems. It does. Obedience is not always the easy way. For instance, maybe the Holy Spirit prompts you to help someone in need, but that person is resisting. They really don't want the help, or they're unappreciative of your help. And when we run against that, the tendency is to think, well, then go on your own then. You don't don't want my help, I'm not going to give it. But if God keeps prompting, then we know that if we treat, keep trying to help, then it may bring even more difficulty. Maybe that's true with somebody you're trying to witness to, somebody you're telling them about the Lord, and you know if you speak the name of Jesus, it's probably going to bring some, some difficulty, but you know in obedience you need to do it. See, obedience is not based on ease or difficulty of our circumstances. It's based on God's authority in our lives. So don't make your decision about whether to obey based on whether it's going to be hard or not, because it may very well be hard, but we still must obey. And let me give you another example of that. Karen and Michael Vinson are Trinity missionaries to Honduras. And uh, if you follow them and know something about their ministry down there at Casa de Abbey with these uh, precious little girls that they've been rescuing, then you know that the last few months have been really difficult. There's been some staff issues, some emotional challenges with some of the girls, which is not surprising because of what all they've been through. But when they, you come up like this, and, and Michael was telling me, he said, this is, we're in spiritual warfare here. And when those difficulties come and it gets hard, the tendency is to want to say, you know, I, let's just shut this down. Let's just go back to the United U.S. It's much easier. It'd be much easier life there. But they know that God's called them to this. So to obey when it's hard is they know that's their path. I'm so thankful for their faithfulness and, and commitment to do that. And I'm so thankful for Trinity because our missions committee has been talking about this and said, what can we do? How can we help them? They're all the way down there in Honduras. What can we do? Well, two of our missions committee members, Bert and Kim Boudet, volunteered. They raised their, we'll go down, we'll go down and help them. So on the spur of the moment, just kind of putting this together within a couple of weeks, 
Now here mid-July, Bert and Kim are going to go down to Honduras, stay there for 10 days, be of help to Michael and Karim, give them a little bit of a break, be a blessing to them. I love that because that's what happens. When you come up against difficult times, it's not that you back off and give up, it's that you ask for others. You ask the church to come around you and support you and help you. That's exactly what Trinity is doing in the midst of this. We're helping those who've chosen to obey even in the difficulty. Well, the apostles did the same thing. They chose obedience too. Look at verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. (laughs) This is great. There's no hesitation at all. They don't wait. The first light, they're there in the temple again teaching, even knowing that it's probably going to mean they're going to get arrested again, go right back into that jail. They obeyed despite the difficulty. The next part of the story here is actually a little bit humorous because the whole Sanhedrin gathers that same morning. These, these now, remember, are, these are the top dogs of Israel's um, leadership, right? The religious leaders, the legislative leaders, they have all the decision-making power in Israel right here. And they're all gathered there, ready to put these apostles on trial. So they, they send to the jail, they open the door, and it's empty. And I love the way Luke describes it. like They were trying to figure out what was going on. Where are they? What happened to them? What is this going to lead to, Luke tells us. You know, where did they disappear to? Is this some kind of conspiracy? Is this a magic trick? Is this, did Scotty beam them up or something? What happened to these people? And so as they're trying to figure this out, someone comes in and says, hey, the guys you arrested yesterday and put in jail, they're out there in the temple right now teaching. And so they send the guards back out. They arrest them again. They bring them in again. And the guards, when they go out there, I love this again, Luke's humor in this, he says, they were afraid of the crowds. So it's the apostles being arrested. They're not afraid. It's the guards arresting them who are afraid because they fear the crowds. They're going to stone them. So I can just picture them whispering to the apostles, you know, just come quietly. You guys just please come with us. Don't make a scene. And they bring them back in, in front of the Sanhedrin. Choosing obedience in the face of difficulty. What a great picture. Have you been in a situation like that? Where you've had to choose what is right, even when it's hard. As expected, it did get more difficult for them. But it leads to the second principle and point this morning because it was now about proclaiming the gospel in spite of opposition. So they obeyed, and now that obedience gives them an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the religious leaders of Israel. So look at verse 27. The trial begins. The apostles are brought in, and they're made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Did you notice how the high priest can't even say the name Jesus? This man, this name, but he won't say the name. They're so afraid of this Jesus. But then he, he, actually his accusation is right on target. He he said, you've continued to teach about Jesus and His death and resurrection. And that's exactly what they'd been doing. He said, you've made, uh, trying to make us guilty of this. Well, they were guilty of this. So that's what Peter had been saying. So what are they going to do? They're guilty as charged. 
Notice what Peter says. He speaks for the 12. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see what Peter's doing? He's reiterating their determination to obey God no matter what. That's what he says. We're going to obey God, not you. And then he gives the gospel. In just a couple of sentences, he gives the gospel to the Sanhedrin right here. Let me show you, just kind of walk this through in a little bit of an outline form. Notice what Peter gives them. First, he, he gives the reality. Jesus died, but God raised him and God exalted him. That's the fact. That's what's happened. And then he says, this is, here's the response that's needed. It's a response of repentance. God did this so that his people Israel would repent of their sin. But the reward for that repentance is God is ready and waiting to forgive. Forgiveness comes next. And we're saying this, we're doing this because that's our responsibility. The responsibility is to be witnesses. What Jesus told us, that's what we're doing. And then he doesn't even forget the resource. He says, because the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. The Holy Spirit could witness to the resurrection as well. And he's doing it through us. So all of that captured in just a couple of sentences. Peter gives to the Sanhedrin boldly. He gives the gospel. And what happened? What, does, the, does the Sanhedrin say, uh, just back off? And, and does the high priest say, oh, oh, sorry, Peter. No, we get it now. That's okay. You guys go ahead, do your thing. You obey God. No. No, it, it, this is, stirs up their anger. Look at the response in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. That's opposition. <laughs> That's some serious opposition. So that's hatred so intense they wanted to kill all 12 of them. And here's the point for us. When we boldly proclaim God's truth, there will always be some people who don't like it, who push back, who oppose what we're doing or what we're saying who don't want to hear it, they're going to shut you out, they're going to close their ears to the name of Jesus. There will be people like that. Don't be surprised by that response because it's the same response Peter got from the religious leaders of his day. Years ago, I was in church ministry in Texas, and it's kind of a little different culture there, but um, I went out with one of the members of our uh, church and we went to visit somebody close by, that lived close by the church, not one of the regular attenders, somebody that we were just reaching out to, knocked on the door, and he let us in the door, and we're walking over to his family room to sit down. I sit down on the couch, and there on the coffee table in front of us is a handgun just laying out in the open. And he sits down on the other side of the table, and we start having the conversation, and it was fine until we started talking about Jesus. And he got upset. He got angry, a belligerent. He, he was against everything we were talking about, against the church, against, and he wanted to let us to hear it, want us to hear it. And so as I'm listening to this and it's getting hotter and hotter in there, I'm just kind of, I, could, I couldn't help myself from glancing down every once in a while just to make sure the gun was going to stay there. He wasn't getting any closer to it. We're going to pick it up or something. I mean, there was some genuine fear. Well, we got through the conversation. He didn't kick us out and he didn't pick up the gun. <laughs> But he didn't soften either. He didn't come to Christ. He never came to church. 
but he heard the gospel that day. And this is the reality. Just as much now as in the first century, sometimes when you share the gospel, when we tell about Jesus, people aren't going to want to hear it. They might oppose it. Don't be surprised. Proclaiming the truth of the gospel is our job, no matter the consequences, no matter the response. And help comes in the case of the disciples. It's looking really bad for them right here, right now, right? (laughs) The Sanhedrin wants to kill them. So help comes from an unlikely source. This is obviously, certainly God at work again. So here's another miracle in our story, actually. The highly esteemed Pharisee named Gamaliel speaks up here. Now, he was from the more conservative group, the Pharisees more conservative than the Sadducees, but certainly no friend of the Christians. And, and he begins to speak, and before he does, they send the apostles out. So I'm always thinking here, you know, how did Luke know this? Well, there must have been a source in the Sanhedrin who later told Luke about this because the apostles didn't hear what was going on. They were sent out of the room. But notice what Gamaliel says, verse Verse 35, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And then he gives examples, two examples of these two rebel leaders named Thutis and Judas, which sounds to me a little more like a boy band than uh, rebel leaders. So Thutis and Judas, he tells the story, you know, these guys were killed, they were leaders, they were killed, their followers scattered. So he gives this context, this example, and then he says in verse 38, notice his conclusion, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, I think Gamaliel certainly believed that this issue with the apostles was of the first case, that it was not from God. It's a human movement. It's just like the two examples he'd given. You know, the leader's gone, and so these guys, they're going to fade out. Don't worry about it. But what he didn't realize is that he, in a prophetic way, was speaking the truth about this as well, because this movement was from God, and they were not going to be able to stop it, no matter what. Here's the truth for us. Now, don't miss this, because if you are living for Jesus, and if and when you speak for Him... Your purpose, your activity, your words are from God, and they cannot be stopped or silenced. God's purposes, God's word, this gospel will not be stopped. It's not just on you. This is not the power of you, your words, your ability, your witness. It's the power of God at work through you, and it cannot be stopped. It will not fail. In proclaiming God's truth, In doing that, we cannot fail. Which is why I want to encourage you today to join a part of a new ministry that we're starting here at Trinity. It's unlike anything else we've done or are doing here at Trinity. It's called Neighborhood Network. If you remember back to our vision initiatives back in January, February, we gave you a glimpse of this, that this was something like this was coming. Well, here it is. Neighborhood Network is is a way to help provide a platform for us to work together, to share together, to build relationships with others who are unsaved or unchurched and who need the gospel. It's to reach those in your sphere of influence, so your neighbors or co-workers or people in your family or your friend group. The Neighborhood Network is designed to help you reach those people for Christ. 
And so it's a platform for idea sharing. It, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a new program here at Trinity. It's not a committee where we're going to have meetings. You just get on this network. You volunteer to be a part of this network, and you will hear about ideas. You'll hear about what God's doing through this person or in this neighborhood or in this effort. And as you share, you're going to encourage somebody else or motivate somebody else or give somebody else another idea of what you've done. We're going to put it out there so that through this network we'll be able to pray for each other. Hey, I'm doing this in my neighborhood. Please pray for me. I'm getting together. I'm a neighbor. I'm having a neighbor over for dinner, and I want to be able to tell them about my faith. Pray for me. That's what this network is about. Right now, in this still kind of post-COVID or still COVID area, uh, you know, era that we're in, a lot of people are working from home much more than ever before. So the home, the neighborhood has become a new harvest field for us. People who are around you who, who weren't there before. And we want to have the opportunity to share Christ with them. And so I want to encourage you to do just for today, Nick mentioned this at the beginning, but on the back of your WhatsApp is a description, just a brief description of this neighborhood network. I'd encourage you to read it. If you didn't pick one of these up on the way in, pick it up on the way out just for that alone. Read it, pray about it, think about it. And if you would volunteer, my hope, by the way, as pastor is that half, three quarters, 90% would be awesome of Trinity would jump on board this network. Because the only responsibility is to be on the network and just watch and listen and read. Just see what God is doing, pray for it, and put your own ideas on there too. To encourage us in building those relationships that will lead to people hearing about Jesus. That's an invitation to take a stand for the name of Christ, just like the apostles did. And what happened when they did? Well, it leads to our last point, because... Despite Gamaliel's speech, there was some suffering that came because they took a stand. Look at this, finding joy in the midst of suffering. Finding joy in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And when they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. So God spared their lives, but He did not spare their backs. They still suffered. A flogging, by the way, was not just a slap on the wrist. This was cruel, terrible torture. And again, the leaders threatened them. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So this time, okay, it included some physical difficulty and pain as well as another threat. The line in the sand is clearer than ever now. So what's going to happen? Surely this kind of flogging would send these apostles home with their tails between their legs, right? Surely they've learned their lesson. Surely they'll stop proclaiming Jesus publicly now. Surely they're, they're going to keep them, their faith to themselves, take it underground, surely. But that's not what happens. That's not what they do. Look at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They're even more emboldened than what they're called to do. As I said at the beginning, this is, this is maybe the greatest miracle of all. We've seen a couple through this passage. But this miracle that these flogged apostles could go away from that rejoicing, how could they do that? 
Well, they understood that this was an honor, an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. This was a realization that by, by their faith, they were being treated as true followers of Jesus because it was the same way Jesus had been treated. And they saw that as an honor, as a privilege. And what about the threats and the danger of speaking up for Christ? Did that keep them quiet? No, they didn't run and hide. Day after day, they kept teaching in the temple and gathering in homes. They were not afraid. They were not afraid or ashamed of their faith. And just, I want you to think about this amazing perspective for a moment. I mean, just to, to rejoice in suffering because you have no fear of what could happen to you, of what man or sin or any other situation, any circumstances can do to you. It's only possible to have joy in the middle of a difficulty if you know whose you are and where you're headed. Or to be so in love with Christ that nothing can steal your joy, nothing's going to change that relationship, nothing removes you from His love, so you have joy regardless. Or to be so committed to the gospel that nothing can shut you up. Well, they can say whatever they want. This is my job. This is my life to witness to what Jesus has done for me. I can't be quiet about that. That's the attitude that they had. That's the attitude I want for my life. And to experience the joy of Christ even in suffering. And Peter got this. Peter was part of this. Peter experienced this. He was flogged too, just like everybody else. So he writes in 1 Peter 1, 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He writes this to others, encouraging them to have joy in their trials because he knew it was possible, because he'd experienced it himself. You know, our typical response to suffering is to avoid it if we can and to complain if we can't. If we have to go through it, at least I'm not going to like it, and I'm not gonna, nobody else is, is going to like it either <laughs> that's around me. But if we could just view our hardships that, that are suffered for Christ as the pathway to spiritual maturity, the Bible tells us that, that's how we grow in our faith. It's often through suffering, it's often through trials. And if we could also see it as what advances the kingdom of God, and that's what the, the apostles saw, right? That their suffering if they continued to obey despite the suffering, that that would expand the kingdom of God, that it would keep growing, which is exactly what happened. We're going to see that throughout the book of Acts. That's what happens because they were obedient and joyful in the midst of suffering and opposition and pain and difficulty. I think the best picture of this perhaps for me is childbirth. Uh, not because I've experienced personally, <laughs> but I've watched Beth Two times in our life, we went through that. Beth went through that. I saw the pain. I saw her suffer. But you know what else I saw? The joy on her face when she held each of our two little newborn babies. How, how could she have joy in all that suffering? Because she was holding on to the result, the end, the, the reward of that suffering. And the same is true for us spiritually. If we could just see the result, if we could see and hold on to the end and what God intends, what will come of it, then the suffering pales. It just kind of goes away because the joy overtakes it. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. 
Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can find joy in the midst of our suffering, just like Jesus did. So I hope you've seen this morning how the early church in Acts inspires and gives us confidence to live for Christ. It's all right here. I really hope that we can grab a hold of this this morning. Let me give you those points again, but personalize them for you. Here's the first. You can choose obedience in the face of difficulty. You can, because you have the same Holy Spirit at work in you that the apostles had. So you can make that choice. You can choose to obey, even when things are hard. Second, you can proclaim the gospel in spite of opposition, because nothing will stop it. So you can proclaim it. It's not up to you what happens to it or how people respond to it. Your job is to witness, to proclaim it. We can do that, even in opposition. And third, you can find joy in the midst of suffering because of the end result, because of what Jesus has promised, because of heaven. There's joy in spite of our suffering. We have that good news to share, and nothing can keep us from proclaiming that good news. Nothing will stop it. It's a message of salvation. It's a glorious invitation. It's the message of good news, the gospel. And it will not be defeated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for this passage and this example and the the lives of the apostles showing us the power of the gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us to give us boldness and confidence and courage and the reality that because you are in this, because you are behind this, because this is your doing, it's your gospel, it's your movement, it's your plan of salvation, that nothing will stop it. It will prevail. You will win. The victory is yours. And Lord, we're along for the ride. And I thank you that you have chosen us, invited us to be a part of that and to be witnesses. So Lord, I thank you that we have this good news, that the simple fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die on that cross, to come back from the dead so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank You for the truth of the gospel, so simply put. And may we hold it dear and share it often. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.